right, welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show, it's a new year. Happy New Year, everybody. We are doing our top 10 of 2023. Joining me for this awesome movie year that we just had is Josh Bell and Jason Harris, the hosts of Awesome Movie Year podcast, as they have been for the last few years. We are going to each give our top 10s. We'll also get into some favorite movie moments and get some picks from our Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces Facebook group. Lots of great movies to get into. Of course, we'll get into some spoilers along the way, as we always do on this show. So keep that in mind if you're still playing catch up on the new year. But that's coming up here in a second. Before we get to it, I do want to remind you, as always, to make sure you're subscribed to Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts. You can follow us on social media at PiecingPod. Join that Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces. And don't forget, we do have a Patreon, the Produced by David Rosen Patreon, where I post bonus and advanced content from Piecing It Together. There's a bunch of episodes right now that you can get early. Uh, also from Awesome Movie Year and from my music career. Lots of great stuff over there. So check it out. It's patreon.com slash Rosen. And with that said, let's get into our top 10 films of 2023. <music> All right, it's that time again. Josh Bell and Jason Harris are here. We're going to talk about our top 10 films of 2023. Guys, how you doing? We're in the top 10 of days that we've had in 2023, maybe. Oh, that's pretty exciting. I, I am excited because, uh, Dave, as we just talked about, uh, you know, and Josh knows this too, I was so down on movies this year. I was like, I couldn't, I didn't have a top five list for most of the year. Then then December hit, and now I have like a top 20 list. It's like, what a great month for movies, and one of the stronger years in recent memory, if you ask me. See, and I had a weirdly opposite okay. experience where six out of the 10 movies that I'm about to talk about, we already talked about on our half-year top 10. So, you know, I picked up only a few later in the year that I thought were worth adding. Well, I'll come in right in the middle, guys, and just be like, I think it was a great year overall. I think there was lots of stuff at the beginning and the end that were really good. And, uh, you know, we'll, I'm sure some of these things will end up on all of our lists here. But it was also a weird year with the strikes. I think that we should kind of, like, mention that real quick before we get into our lists. Like, there's still things that we expected at the end of the year that are delayed until next year. There's things that probably would have been out, you know, a couple of months ago that maybe are early January, February, March releases now. Uh, it's been a little bit of a weird year after a bunch of weird years in a row. What with the pandemic before that? Yeah, but no matter what, there's always some good stuff, right? As we say on Awesome yes. Movie here, right? <laughs> I mean, there's always some good stuff, but I really feel like, like I said, this is this. I don't necessarily think there was a great like five star movie this year, but I had a lot of movies with four stars on this. List. I had four movies yeah. with four stars for the entire year but i'm just very wow. uh, uh you know which are all on my list and i'll talk about but uh, i'm sure. a, i'm you know yeah. i'm very tough on the grading yeah and i had 16 with four and then at least another seven eight ten with three and yeah. a half so. and Dave yeah i'm had with 25 you actually, with five stars no i'm actually i'm with you jason i had two with five stars for the whole year i did not have many five stars That's good, so, yeah. and, but a lot of four stars so uh, a lot to pick from here but with that said, let's start getting into these lists. We'll start with you, Josh. What do you have for number 10? I have the holdovers at number 10. So starting off with some, I don't know if it'll be on all our lists, but it's on a lot of other people's lists as well. And uh, sure. I was definitely really looking forward to this movie. And I I really enjoyed most of Alexander Payne's work, uh, downsizing aside. And <laughs> sure. 
Um, well, this is his first film since then, so which it's been a long time, and it was also like kind of a return to form for him. So I did really enjoy this film. I think maybe I had really high expectations, and it just about met them, which makes it almost feel disappointing, you know. But still, really, really enjoyable. Paul Giamatti's performance, absolutely one of the best of the year, as this curmudgeonly boarding school teacher who reluctantly has to take care of some students over the holiday break and mainly just one student who ends up sticking around and they bond. And it's the kind of movie that I feel like in the hands of a different director and a different cast, but even with the exact same script could have been so cheesy, so sappy, but Alexander Payne just gets the perfect tone for it where you feel the emotions of it, you know, when the characters bond, but it doesn't feel like it's pulling on your heartstrings too much. And the performances, Dominic Sessa as the the kid and Divine Joy Randolph, who plays the, the cook who is also stays behind and who's dealing with the death of her son in the Vietnam War, all really good. They all connect perfectly. And uh, it's the kind of movie I feel like also, you know, maybe we're going to talk about some weird esoteric things here, but this is the kind of movie you could recommend to basically anybody and they would enjoy it. Yeah, I wrote down the same thing because it will end up on my list later on. But uh, yeah, this is the one movie on my list as well where it's just like practically anybody is going to like it if you recommend it to them. Uh, this is also on my list at a higher spot. And I would agree with you. Um, I felt like uh, this was Alexander Payne channeling Hal Ashby. This had a very 70s feel, the music, the kind of snap zooms. And I agree. I mean, dude, this this year, the best actor race is like it's it's a, a murderer's row of actors this year i, I think like. i yep. had like three people on my list for it i was i was well, i was that's fine those three are great <laughs> yeah. performances stop shitting on everything that we do Josh. no i'm just saying i mean we're only at number paul 10 G paul giamatti is great in this film and you know he's in a very very exclusive as far as i'm concerned uh sort of realm this year so uh, i'm agreeing with you there's great great performances in this film yeah well, it's cool that we all, uh, you know, the first one out of the gate, we all have. Yeah, I don't know if we're going to have any more of those, but it's great to have one at least. Definitely, definitely. Jason, what is your number 10? My number 10, uh, a lot of legends uh, made big movies this year. And my number 10 is the one that I think was the best of that group. And it's a lot of people's number one. It's Killers of the Flower Moon. Yes, we know all the criticisms about it. I have read the book, as you know, Dave, we did an episode on it. Um, Whatever you don't like, there is it's fine. You still can't deny the mastery of Scorsese. There's some imagery here that is so striking, even from the opening uh, sequence with the oil springing up out of the ground and the natives dancing in it. It's a complex story, um, and I think he tried to tell an honest uh, version. Uh, and it's nice that, like uh, you know, Josh, we're in 1939, an awesome movie year where. Uh, white people good natives bad and it's like you know right now we're we're showing the story of like just how horrible you know uh uh white americans were to uh native americans in different ways and i feel like this is a very good um scorsese movie and dave's dog agrees with me so. <laughs> you never know where the barking is which which dog harvey's is a barking? big scorsese fan so he's, yeah. he's basically agreeing with you so yeah so lily gladstone's gonna get an oscar nod and would have been my front runner until a few weeks ago and i think de niro this is his best performance in in a while as well yeah, I, I was mixed on it, but um, and it didn't make my list, but I obviously whenever Scorsese makes a movie, it's like 
reason for celebration. And uh, spoiler alert for when I do my top 10 film scores of the year, but I think Robbie Robertson's work will end up on it. So good. Uh, I agree with that. And um, it would be pretty cool if he wins and, you know, Scorsese has to, you know, will accept the award on his behalf. For sure. For sure. So um, obviously, you know, later on, we'll get into some honorable mentions, um, but I had a whole bunch of movies vying for my number 10 slot. Uh, and I decided almost in a tiebreaker type situation, I pushed them all to honorable mentions. And instead, I found a slot for Taylor Swift's Eras Tour as my number 10 here. Oh, thank goodness, Dave. <laughs> That's so important as a film. We're, we're so excited for this. I so. am telling you right here. Hey, speaking of Robbie Robertson and, you know, obviously there's other movies that people would consider. This is like the best concert film I've ever seen in my life, quite frankly. And um, it's... It's a pop star at the height of her powers being captured on film perfectly. And I sat there in the theater just unable to believe how good this was. Um, you know, it's crazy long at three hours, but every minute of it is so good. And I wasn't even that big of a Taylor Swift fan going into this, but I was won over by everything happening, all the sparkliness on the screen and these just incredibly effective pop songs uh it, it's an incredible performance captured perfectly and like i said it's probably the best concert film i've ever seen yeah i i wanted to see it i was curious and i mean i maybe more of a taylor swift fan than you dave like i definitely had listened to more of her early music not as much her more recent stuff but um i think the the extra price for it kept me right. away and there was one like i think the final weekend and I, I still go see movies at the drive-in mostly, and it was discounted, and I was going to try to go, and I, I couldn't make it because it was just one time. But I, I would have been interested in checking that out. I, I think that could have been fun. Yeah. Have I seen this film? Never, ever. <laughs> That's a Taylor Swift. Yeah. Very good, Jason. Very good. Uh, look, I don't mind Taylor Swift, the pop star. I am over Taylor Swift, the manufactured everything is carefully crafted celebrity. I don't need the NFL cutting to her every time Travis Kelsey makes a catch. Let's like, you know, like there's a, there's a thing of too much here, right? It's just too much. And she's clearly talented enough where she doesn't need to keep, you know, shoving this down our throats. So um, I had no interest in it, but if my daughter wants to watch it one day, I, I can't wait for that to happen. Um, <laughs> Josh, let's go to your number nine. All right. My number nine is a movie that I think I had on my list, uh, my half year list, and then it had kind of bumped down. And then I ended up watching it again for a piece that I was writing. And I bumped it back up because I really was even more impressed with it a second time. And I usually don't watch movies again. It was only for that article, but I, I'm glad I watched it again. And uh, that is uh, Birth Rebirth from uh, director and co-writer Laura Moss. And I watched it because it, it was one of three movies this year that kind of offer this feminist take on the Frankenstein story, along with mm -hmm. Poor Things, which of course is the one that got a lot of attention, and another film called The Angry Black Girl and Her Monster, which is not quite as good as, as these other ones. And I like Poor Things a lot, but I like this one a lot more. I think it's way more serious and more intense. It's certainly a smaller scale film. It's got Excellent performances from Marin Ireland, uh, who has had a great year. Uh, we'll talk about her again, or I will at least later on. Um, and Judy Reyes, who I think people still just know from Scrubs, but she is so good in this film as this uh, a nurse, a mother who loses her daughter, and Marin Ireland plays this pathologist who is basically the Fra Dr. Frankenstein figure who brings this little girl back to life. And 
it's about their sort of weird dynamic. It's about how far would you go to sort of, you know, save your child and what is necessary. And it's, it's really gruesome and brutal and intense at times and hard to watch, but incredibly well acted. And I feel like it's just, it's been a bit underrated this year. And I even underrated it myself. Maybe I liked it and then it kind of faded. And then I watched it again and I realized, Hey, this is really good. Yeah, I saw your review of it, and it sounds great. I have not seen it. Like you said, it's kind of underrated. Like, I feel like no one's talking about it except for your, you know, your piece. But uh, I'd like to check it out, though. It sounds great. What if we reanimate Taylor Swift I mean, day? I feel like she's very <laughs> animated already, right? Isn't she? Isn't that your, one of your complaints? <laughs> maybe she needs, maybe she wants to get that next level and reanimate herself. Who knows? I haven't seen it. Uh, sounds All good, right. Josh. Uh, Jason, what do you got number nine? Number nine was the last movie I watched this year, and it was a perfect way to go out. And this is what I mean about how good this movie year is. Like, this could have been number three. This could have been number one. It's a great movie. Uh, Core Jefferson's American Fiction. Uh, I have a number of first-time directors on this list, which is exciting. Um, I love this movie. Jeffrey Wright, you mentioned Giamatti as a... Uh, you know, for the best actor, Jeffrey Wright's going to be there too. And he deserves to be, he's an amazing performance. I, I think this is, you know, where we talk about the holdovers as a seventies throwback. This is a real indie nineties throwback. Right. And it has this kind of real, um, honest family drama, which, which could have been too much, but they do it in such an honest way. Uh, all the performers, Sterling K. Brown, Tracy Ellis Ross, Leslie Uggams, just great in here. And those two side characters, um, the family's uh, maid and the old kind of beach cop. And hey, Erica Alexander, living single, way to, way to bring it, right? So um, I love that part. And the other part, which is about this author who feels like um, his stories aren't getting credit because they're not quote unquote black enough in what white America or any part of America, black America thinks um, the black story should be, I think is just great. And I know we've seen a lot of kind of movies or at least one other that I'm thinking might be on Dave's list dealing with like fame and satire and what this means. And I think this just does it so well. And um, Jeffrey Wright kind of going in between those two characters is just awesome. This is a great movie. Yeah, I haven't seen it. Um, it's one of a few that um, because of the release pattern and I probably will end up having to write about in like a month and I wanted to wait and watch then. But I'm very curious to check it out. Yeah, I, I agree with Jason. It is great. It was uh, definitely one of the ones I was considering for my list. It just missed it. But um, Jeffrey Wright is so good. And certainly Kane Brown, one of the funniest performances of the year, honestly. So damn good in this. Um, but yeah, great pick, Jason. Uh, I will go for number nine with Todd Haynes, May, December, uh, which is such a uniquely interesting take on what this story is, being of this story of this uh, th this woman who had this scandal earlier in life, and but those people are still together, and then this actress comes in to study them for a role in the story of them for a movie. And it's such a unique take on that. And uh, it, it led to a lot of, you know, conversations online. The discourse around this have just been ridiculous. Um, but I think all of that leads to a lot of ways that you can read this movie. And I mean, that's some of the best movies is where after the credits roll, you can really just 
keep rolling with it and keep thinking about, you know, what what did Todd Haynes really intend with all this? I think Natalie Portman is fantastic in it. Uh, Julianne Moore is great. Charles Melton, of course, a lot of people have pointed out, steals the movie. Um, I think the big, over-the-top, Lifetime-esque score is fantastic. And uh, it's such a weird one. And it's a movie that I keep thinking about ever since I've seen it. I agree with you on the lifetime aspects, not just with the score, but the like, again, the zooms Mm -hmm. and the camera work. And I I thought this was a very clear vision that Todd Haynes had and he pulled off. Um, I mean, Natalie Portman is always just pretty much on as long as uh, George Lucas isn't directing her. Um, So um, I thought she was great. I, I the Julianne Moore character confused me. Right. Because. Like she is the person that we are, you know, supposed to feel one way or the other about like all the other characters do. And I just thought they kept adding on to reasons to dislike her or like confuse us with her. And I didn't think it needed it because the center of the story had enough meat going where we could have made that decision either way already. I mean, she's complex. That's what they're they're adding things to sort of, you know, expand your understanding of her, I think. Well, I it did the opposite. It made me understand her less. Well, the thing is, I, I to me anyway, I think it was just a matter of piling on the reasons to not like these people. Like it's just not good people telling stories about other not good people, and all that is very like nihilistic in a way. And I, I don't know. I just I love that about it. Yeah, I mean, I like this movie a lot too. It's not on my list, but I thought it was really good, and it was. It's it's definitely something like you said, Dave, that it gives you a lot to consider. And I think when I finished watching it, I was like, I'm not sure how I feel about this. And then I kept thinking about it more and it really just, just stayed with me and intrigued me. So, uh, I like it a lot. Yeah. And that the score is great, Dave. I don't know if you, you got this, but I just the other day got like some promotional item. I mean, we get all these at, at awards season and it was for this film and it had one of those cards where when you open it, it plays a sound and it was it was it was like playing off this bit that's become a meme from the film where, uh, you know, Julianne Moore says we don't have enough hot dogs. And then there's suddenly this big sting of the score. And sure. that's what happens when you open this card. So that's amazing. It's, it's very amusing <laughs> what they've got going on uh, and how they're kind of playing into it. Yeah, that's really, really funny. I love that. I like the setting of this film also, which um, whatever Savannah, Georgia, I think is what it's supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. Really nice. Really um, a good setting for this. Yeah, absolutely. Let's go to Josh's number eight. So my number eight film is a documentary. And I feel like, you know, good to get a little bit of that in here. And I, I think this movie, it seems like it's gotten still gotten some good attention in terms of the best documentaries of the year, but maybe overshadowed a bit because it was a streaming release. It's uh, still a Michael J. Fox movie, which is an Apple TV Plus film. And it's the kind of thing I think going into it, I thought there's so many of these movies now where they're basically these like authorized celebrity biographies. And most of them are really super safe and super boring. And it's like, here's this celebrity and how interesting they are. And they've signed off on everything about it. And (coughs) Taylor Swift. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think the Taylor Swift thing is different because it's not really a biography about her. It's just her performance. Well, but she, but she, she did have one. She's done that before. Yeah. 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 Right. I mean, and there, there is that, I I haven't seen the, the John Batiste movie this year, for example, that's gotten a lot of uh, praise, but I, 
you know, the, something like that. But anyway, this is definitely an authorized Michael J. Fox thing. It's not critical of him, but I didn't need it to be. You know, it uses his voice and it's fascinating. And he does allow the director, Davis Guggenheim, to really dig in and get into more complex things about how he deals with his health, with Parkinson's and, all, you know, the addiction problems that he had. But what impressed me the most about this film is the way that it takes what is basically just talking head interview archival clip and uses the editing to make it into this narrative that it combines clips from Michael J. Fox's work and some reenactment type stuff and uses those clips as if they are events from his life, not just, oh, I was in this movie, here's a clip from this movie, but talking about things that he was doing in his life and especially with the development of his disease and with addiction. And you see the characters from his films like participating in that in a way, not manipulated, but just the way it's edited together. It struck me as just something that no other celebrity bio, bio doc has done before. And then he's just a fascinating person on his own. So I feel like if you're going to see one of these movies, this is the one to see. Well, I'm excited to see this. I keep uh, bugging Dave for us yeah. to do the uh, the top documentary episode coming up. So I kind of held off on my documentary picks uh, in the hopes that we will do that episode. So now we have to, Dave, because it's on record. But um, I believe, Josh, that um, this definitely uh, will probably have a great chance of making my list. Yeah, I feel like that too. If we do end up doing that documentary episode, which I have not agreed to, but uh, I, I would, you know, you just agreed to it. You know, Dave can edit these things out easily. <laughs> yeah, sure. No can. one will know. <laughs> Jason, what do you have for number eight? Okay, number eight for me is a film, Dave, uh, that Josh actually mentioned earlier called Poor Things, Yorgos mm. uh, Lanthimos. I think. Um, Emma Stone, just give her the Oscar right now. That is such a brave and amazing performance. And like in lesser hands would have just been uh, a disaster, but she's so good in this movie. And she's so funny. Does Emma Stone, I know she does like, we don't really consider her a comedic actress, even though she does like a lot of comedy, but she really pulls it off. The look of this thing, the feel of this thing. I'm a big fan of Willem Dafoe in this movie. Um, you know, there's a point where they get into Paris and it kind of slows the rhythm down a little. Um, but I just thought this was a great uh, surrealist and absurdist film and had really kind of unique insight into jealousy and the human condition and all this stuff. And this will not be the last of uh, absurd films on my list. But this is a this is a really good movie. And Yorgos Lanthimos, I think the favorite was my favorite movie of that year that it came out. So. He's one of the most interesting filmmakers around. Emma Stone, what a year between this and The Curse, oh, yeah. just killing the game. So, um, and I, I think I already said this, but it, this is a beautiful looking film too. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's going to end up on my list later on. Uh, I agree with everything you said pretty much. Yeah, it's not on my list, but I, I did think it was very good. And and I agree with you that the look of it is amazing. And I'm, I'm some Yorgos Lanthimos movies I have really not cared for, but I think working with, and I forget the name, the writer, I think it's Tony McNamara who wrote this and wrote The Favorite has really been, to me, the, the you know, perfect combination for him versus writing his own material. And um, yeah, Emma Stone is fantastic. And I, I enjoyed this film a lot, too. Maybe the dance scene of the year? Uh, I, you know what? That's interesting. Well, uh, we, I have some some dance related content that I'm planning to talk about later. 
Yeah. Between the dance scene and the, uh, uh, you know, the sex scenes, you know, maybe. The yeah, sex maybe scenes. that, that might possible. be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll go with my number eight, which is a movie Josh and I covered here on the podcast. It's No One Will Save You. Uh, which is a movie I kind of had no interest in when it was first uh, announced. You know, a uh, first of all, Caitlin Deaver. I I was not really a big fan of Booksmart. I also didn't know Brian Duffield's other work, and so just the idea of like a sci-fi streaming movie that just kind of came out of nowhere. I I don't know if this is going to be anything. And then I watched it and was just totally blown away. Um, I talked about it at length on the episode how much I liked it. One thing I've noticed, like in you know the preceding months since then, is like how much everybody kind of got hung up i feel like on the oh cool she never talks to this whole thing like to me that was like one of the least interesting things about it to me it was all about this person who just so swiftly deals with an alien invasion but is so put off by her neighbors and all of the like regular normal people in her life and to me i love that i love that juxtaposition of it. it's a real movie for introverts and people who just want to be left alone and i think it's a uh it, it's a great uh movie that does a lot of really unexpected things and caitlin deaver is great in it yeah, I agree. I mean, as we talked about on the episode, I liked it a lot. And it's uh, it's right below. I think I have it as number 14 on my mm-hmm. little expanded list that I've been keeping. So I, I'm, I'm with you, Dave. I thought that movie was was great. And definitely, like you said, kind of a surprise, you know, out of nowhere, brilliant kind of thing. Right on. Well, these are the nice things about, you know, we we all saw this on Hulu. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, um, yeah, so I didn't love Spontaneous. Yeah, I, I didn't thought it either. Was all right, and I thought this one else was all right. I think, um, you know, it's good. I thought this one again, the style actually, you know, worked and added to it, and um, I didn't mind the silent aspect of it. Caitlin Devers holds up her, and I just thought it didn't uh, go all the way for me, but it it was good. I'm glad I watched it. Right on, right on, Josh. Number seven. My number seven pick is How to Blow Up a Pipeline which uh, came out early in the year, but it wasn't, uh, I hadn't seen it, um, you know, when we did our little half year thing. And I'm really glad I caught up with it because it got huge acclaim, I feel like when it came out. And then it wasn't one of these movies that really was as much in the conversation awards wise later on, but it really should be. It's it's uh, 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 like one of the most tense, suspenseful movies that you'll see this year. And Daniel Goldhaber, who's the the director and the co-writer, takes a nonfiction book about environmental activism and then the need for like direct action, which could have been a really dry, you know, social issue documentary that would not have reached anybody except people who are already like on board with this message. And he smartly adapts it into this like heist movie, which again is super engaging, suspenseful, has a lot of really interesting characters. It's well acted. It's shot really, really well on like 16 millimeter film. It's got a great score. And even if you think these people are nuts and wrong, you can still get super immersed in just the, the you know, putting together the plan and how things go wrong and what might happen and the way that it's structured with these flashbacks. But it also clearly tells you like, why are these characters doing this and why is this important and gives you the message that presumably is in the book. So just a really, really like an entertaining movie, the best kind of movie, I think, with a social message, because it's entertaining from beginning to end. It never like stops to be like, now let us tell you about why this is important. It just integrates that the whole time. And it's really, really good. So this is uh, higher on my list than um, whatever number you were at right now. Seven, (laughs) I guess. Right. So 
I love this movie. Um, Goldhaber and the star Ariella Bearer uh, wrote this together uh, with Jordan Scholl, I guess. But yeah, everything that you said, like, I don't know how they made this, how they made this jump from the book to this, but they knocked it out of the park. This movie's yeah, awesome. Agreed. Right on. This is actually one of the ones that I didn't get a chance to get to before the end of the year. I wanted to. So since you both have it, I definitely <laughs> have to catch up on this. Yeah. So right on. Jason, what do you have? Number seven. Uh, number seven. Uh, you know, I don't really love the, the superhero movies. I think we're finally all getting that fatigue, which I've had for years. But I do have one on my list and it might not be the one you're thinking of. Uh, but it it was acclaimed and it was a big hit. It was Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. I thought James Gunn totally stuck the landing on this thing. It's a full story that is now complete. I'm good with it. Um, I know they're going to make more, but we don't need to. We can just move on from it. And, um, you know, I know Bradley Cooper having a huge year with this in Maestro, but uh, Dave Batista just, uh, you know what? He would be in my um, best actor uh category this year and and we'll save that a little later for uh our maybe moments of the year but i just really love this movie this is a fun popcorn maybe the best popcorn movie of the year and um just just nailed it i love i think it's a great trilogy and this was a great way to end it yeah i had this on my uh list at the midway point of the top 10 uh of this year and i it just misses it. it's just below top 10 but it's great i'm just really curious which one would you have expected us to have picked of other superhero spider-man oh the Spider -Man. Yeah, yeah 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 of course so. that makes sense yeah I, I this was fine i guess i don't know i'm in a weird position where like this movie that people really love i'm like oh it's all right and the other Marvel movies that came out this year that people seem to hate, like Ant-Man and the Marvels, I thought they were also equally all right. So I don't know. My fatigue is just sort of a neutrality on these things, I guess. Which is fair enough. I mean, you get beaten over the head enough. Yeah. It's like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can feel that way about all of them. I think this one exceeded what so many of the other superhero movies and Spider-Man did also, uh, you know, but I just think, yeah, this was this really he not, he did a great job. and. Um, you know, wait till he revives DC. Yeah, we'll see about that. We all can't wait. Okay. Um, DC about that. <laughs> Thank you. My number seven is a little movie called Barbie from director Greta Gerwig, which, you know, obviously could have been a total mess. There's a million ways this could have went wrong, but it absolutely did not. It's obviously the biggest movie of the year, and I had a lot of fun with it. I think Margot Robbie is so much fun in the role. Ryan Gosling, of course, is just hilarious. You know, the production design, the songs, the, the dance sequences, just all the stuff that goes on. It's just such a fun movie from beginning to end. I don't think it's perfect by a long shot. Like I think a lot of the, like the Will Ferrell stuff and the Mattel stuff like kind of falls a little flat, but overall it's just such a good time. And, you know, a little bit of enjoyment of these movies does come from the surrounding aspects. And I mean, as far as memes, as far as like, you know, impact on like the world of movie watching. I mean, it's such a big thing for what 2023 was as far as movies are concerned. So jumping on that point, I was kind of hoping with uh, all the Barbenheimer hype dying down that it might get a reevaluation on some fronts because I liked it, but I am in by no means like, on the rah-rah train, this is one of the best things of the year. I, I'm all good with Margot Robbie getting a, uh, an act Best Actress nomination, and she deserves it. She's great in this movie, and I think Gosling will get the supporting actor nod. 
Um, I, I, I agree with you. Production design's great. Some smart jokes. But then also some stuff, you know, with Gerwig and Bombach, who are some of the uh, best writers around, that just fell flat for me. I'm just kind of, as Josh was saying on Guardians, I'm just kind of like, eh, that was fine. Mm-hmm. You know, I saw it. It was good. I can have the conversation about it. I didn't dislike it, but by no means is this in um, anywhere near the top for me. Yeah, I mean, it's not on my top 10 list either, but I think I liked it more than Jason did. And uh, and I was I was thoroughly entertained by this. And it's, you know, it's one of those movies that even if you see it like opening weekend, there was so much hype by that point that it's easy to end up disappointed. And I liked I liked it more than Oppenheimer, definitely. So uh, I enjoyed it. So I will say I think my favorite uh, memes of the year though were for for Jesse Plemons and Killers of the Flower Moon. Those <laughs> yeah, those are those my favorite, all very favorite memes. If we're talking yeah. the movie memes of the year, Jesse Plemons in general is like a meme machine yeah. for like everything he's in. So because he's winning at life, yeah. <laughs> he really you know, is. So he's got yeah. Dunst, a great career, and he seems pretty happy. <laughs> he, so. he deserves it. Yeah. yeah. Josh, what's number six? Uh, number six is You Hurt My Feelings, Nicole Holofcener's uh, sort of low-key comedy with Julia Louis-Dreyfus. And this is a movie that is, you could argue, not about much of anything at all. Um, you know, appropriately for Julia Louis-Dreyfus, a movie about nothing. But um, it's just such a well-observed little story. And this is what Nicole Holofcener does really well. And this isn't necessarily my favorite of her films. I mean, I've had other films of hers, I think higher on my top 10 lists in past years, but every little interaction between these characters is just so perfectly observed. The performances that she gets from people like Julia Louis-Dreyfus or Michaela Watkins, who are not necessarily known as like powerhouse actors, are just like exactly right for their characters. And even though the like the sort of plot of this movie, if you read the description where the idea is, oh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, you know, she's a writer. She finds out that her husband, played by Tobias Menzies, doesn't really like her work, even though he's been telling her that he does. And it's like dealing with this lie. And that is like sort of part of it. But that sounds like a much more overblown thing than what actually ends up in the film. And it's really just about these people kind of navigating a marriage that has gone on for a long time and just their relationships with each other. So it's not flashy or showy in any way. And it was well-reviewed, but it's not surprising to me that it hasn't shown up on a lot of lists. But I just think Nicole Holofcener is so talented and it's a shame that she makes movies so infrequently because she always has some really great observations about human interactions. So I'm with you on Nicole Holofcener. I I mean, you know, like let's just give her a 10 episode show on any of the streamers at this point. I like this movie. I don't even think it's her best uh, collaboration with Julia Louis-Dreyfus. I really liked Enough Said back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going to disagree with you on this um, kind of commentary that she's not a powerhouse actress. She's always spot on. Julia well, I'm not saying that she's Maybe. not good, but I mean, I think it's in stuff like Seinfeld or Veep or whatever, where it's you know, people kind of maybe dismiss it like, oh, it's comedy. It's not it's not on the level of, you know, big uh, award winning, you know, serious right. work or whatever. I'm not trying to right. denigrate that, her in any way. She's very talented. Yeah. And maybe that speaks more to uh, not giving comedic actors the credit right. that they deserve. She's great in this movie. It's a fun movie. I think um, I remember on your half year episode when you had it, you said like, so the problem kind of wraps up an hour in and then there's another half hour of the movie. And that is kind of where it lost me, like after the problem wrapped up, like not that it wasn't 
good. It just wasn't as good yeah. after that. So when the conflicts there, but I mean, go go see not just this movie, but all of Nicole Hollis Senior's movies. We we need more filmmakers like it. And Josh, I think if you like this, you'll like American Fiction. All right. Well, I definitely plan to watch American Fiction. Yeah, I wish I liked this movie more because I, I love the idea of it and like I, I love like kind of the things it's saying and whatnot. I just I didn't really enjoy it that much, but you know, it's it's still an interesting pick. And uh, Julia Louise Dreyfus is great. Michaela Watkins is great. They're all great. But Jason, what do you have for your number? I mean, six? that's that seems apropos. You wishing you liked it more as she wishes, you know, right? Her husband, true. Her husband, liked her, liked her, yeah. Or her yeah. agent liked right. it more, or whoever, right? <laughs> Uh, okay, number six, we're back to the absurdism. And this is, um, if you know my taste, you probably wouldn't think that this would be on there. Uh, Bo is Afraid, uh, three hour long Ari Aster movie. Actually, my first Ari Aster movie. I never, um, not a huge horror guy, but this movie is amazing. And I'm going to go back and watch the other two movies that Ari Aster made. Um, I would put Joaquin Phoenix up in that category for best actor of the year. Um, this has some of the wildest and craziest sequences of the year. And one of the most memorable where out of nowhere, there's this narration of what Bo's journey is now becoming. Uh, speaking of sex scenes, this has one of the craziest sex scenes of the year with uh, Joaquin Phoenix and uh, Parker Posey. And um, this is three hours. It's a lot to take in always, but um, it just keeps surprising you. And um it's a clear vision uh, in an unclear type of way. And I was just kind of fascinated the entire way through. Yeah, I I haven't got this was one that I was planning to see. And it just, as you said, it's a lot. And I never really had the the fortitude to sit down for three hours and watch it. But I do want to see it. I have seen other, you know, Ari Aster's two other films, which I thought were both really good. And so this was just one that that eluded me, and I sat down and watched uh, multiple eighty-five minute movies instead. <laughs> but I'll get there. I, I, I liked it, but I loved the first thirty minutes. The first thirty minutes, if it had sustained that the whole time, this would probably be towards the top of my list. What a year where one of us has Bo is afraid on our list, <laughs> and it's me and not one of you. Yeah. That is very random. But, uh, for number six, for me, I'm going with Tetris, uh, which I believe was on my list at the middle way point of the year. Um, for the last 15 years, you know, superhero movies have served everybody's nostalgia fix. Um, this is my nostalgia movie. This movie deals with, and of course we had the Super Mario Brothers movie this year. It doesn't make my list, but, uh, this movie more so deals with the whole overall video game industry. When I was like 12, 13, 14 years old, I was just absorbing every last video game magazine I could, just reading every single story of the behind the scenes of all these companies. And as some of these characters, you know, quote unquote, who are actually like, you know, the CEO of Nintendo or like all these other companies are showing up, that was like my, you know, I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers initiative, like moment that was that in this movie, Tetris. Um, along with that, it's just really funny and sweet and cute. It's, it's a great little bromance between these two guys uh, who 
founded Tetris. One of them actually coded it and the other one who kind of took it over, but in a way where he actually wanted the both of them to kind of come out on top. Um, one of my favorite scores of the year from Lauren Balf and some really fun little flourishes that, you know, kind of hint back to the fact that it's a video game movie. Uh, it's just a really great time. And I know I'm probably overrating it a little bit, but like I said, this one like speaks to me so much. Yeah, I didn't see it. I didn't see it either, but um, I think you're onto something with nostalgia and IP. And I would uh, say that there will be another uh, incident of that for me coming up. Sure. I mean, it does. It's interesting, Dave, you know, you're talking about the superhero movies, as Jason was saying, that that seem to be sort of faltering a bit. But we've had video game movies that have been more successful lately, whereas for years that was just like no one could could crack that or whatever. So whether it's this or... Super Mario Brothers or the Sonic the Hedgehog movies, which I know you love, or yeah. I feel like there's been other, you know, or TV series or whatever recently. So maybe we're going to start getting a flood of that stuff instead. It feels like, oh, we yeah, are. of course we will, because Super Mario Brothers did so right. well. So yeah. now we have to get 10 crappy versions of, you know, uh, you know, what, what Legend of Zelda or Kid Icarus. Mattel or toys is, and right? video game movies. Yeah. That's, that's going to be everything going forward. Sophistication. Yeah. Why? Right. The idea of like, hey, instead of let's do it. This was an original thing and that's why it did well. So let's find the next original thing to do well. Let's just do a derivative of the original thing that did well. What a silly idea, Jason. Silly. (laughs) You're talking silly. Josh, what's your number five? Uh, My number five is Celine Song's Past Lives, which, you know, talking again about sort of small scale stories. I mean, this this has a bigger sweep because it takes place over the course of like 25 years or whatever. But it's really just about the relationships among three people. Uh, Greta Lee is so good in this. Uh, you know, this is another movie that was kind of from earlier in the year. And it seemed like when it came out, all these people are like, Greta Lee, Oscar nomination, no, nomination. And I don't know if she's got that momentum still, but she should because she's so good here as this woman who is dealing with. And I feel like one of my favorite subjects for movies like this is, you know, the idea of regret. Like she, you know, she moved away from her childhood crush in a circumstances out of her hands and her life went in a certain way. And then this person comes back into her life and it's like, what could have been, should I have done this? Should I have done that? You know, how would my life have gone if I, if I did something else instead? And it's, it's regret, but it's also just this sort of like understanding of like, Hey, I went in this other direction and I'm okay with that. I've, I understand that now. And you really get a sense of all three of these main characters. And there's one of the best scenes of the year in this film with, with her and John McGarrow, who plays her husband that she eventually marries. And they're lying in bed together after she's reconnected again with her childhood crush and sort of discussing their relationship in this very frank, very healthy way. And he's a great character too, because he's sort of like in this position of like, I, what what do I tell her? Like, what do I say to her? And do I, you know, try to control her? Or, you know, how do I make sure that our relationship is strong without, you know, pushing her away? And it's just, a, you know, one of the best depictions, I think, of good communication in a relationship. So uh, a really good film with excellent performances. I'm excited to see what Celine Song does next. I, I think someone I saw recently joking on Twitter about, uh, you know, Celine Song's uh, superhero movie or something. So hopefully that's not right. where she's going. Because it's a great Maybe debut. Maybe she can do Eternals too, right? right? exactly. Uh, God. That's what we did with Chloe Zhao. Now we have to take all these independent voices yeah. 
and and ruin them. Um, so, Josh, yet again, you have uh, jumped the gun on my mm. list. This is further up on my list. I did want to mention Tao Yu, who plays that uh, the adult version of the childhood crush who comes back into her life. All three of these um, actors, just great. And yes, if we don't nominate Greta Lee for Best Actress, what are we right. doing? She's yeah. so good in this yeah. movie. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, didn't quite make my top 10, but it's just below and it's great. So great pick. Um, Jason, what do you have for your number five? Okay, so number five. So, you know, uh, as you know, guys, I, I'm a busy guy. I got a lot of stuff going on. <laughs> number here, five so. is BattleBots Showdown. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. But um, the, the point is, like, I sometimes or oftentimes, especially at the end of the year when I'm trying to catch up on everything, I don't get to just sit and watch a movie for two hours at a time. I have to watch it in segments, right? And it's an interesting way of watching movies because, like, sometimes you start with something and watch, like, 45 minutes and it's like, oh, this is really really good and then you come back and you're like well this just didn't sustain any of the momentum right but my number five pick i watched in segments and it sustained all the momentum all the way through and uh i kind of love this movie um it's blackberry and uh i know a lot of people are big fans of it uh glenn howerton you got to give him in my estimation i know josh hated him in this movie but I give him a supporting actor nod. I thought this is Jay Baruchel's best work in a while. And uh, it's Mike Johnson. Is that the I think it's Matt Johnson. Matt, Matt Johnson, Johnson yeah. who made all these kind of crazy, wild, um, low-budget movies that I would like to see now. I just thought he nailed this. He nailed the soundtrack, the look of it. It felt um, of the, um, the aughts, the 2000s, uh, you know, and I just... Um, these kind of business intellectual property movies that we're talking about, you mentioned Tetris air, you know, they they kind of are tough to sustain for the entire run of it. And, um, this was awesome. I want to watch this again. It's a great movie. Yeah. I'm like the only person who didn't like this movie and, and <laughs> you're the worst. And, and you're it. right. I, I found, I mean, I think Glenn Howerton is funny. I mean, I haven't watched it's always sunny in Philadelphia in years, but he, he was funny on that. But I thought that character was so grating and not, I mean, he's meant to be this very abrasive guy, but to me, not in a believable way. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm this lone voice here, but I just found this movie unpleasant to watch. I didn't think it was a good way to tell the, the true story, but everyone loves it. And, you know, it's interesting. You talked about watching it in segments because I know it's also like for whatever weird like contractual reason available as a three-part miniseries on uh, AMC plus, I think. And so maybe, you know, in a way was designed to possibly be watched in segments as well. Yeah. I just want to take issue with you saying you didn't, uh, you didn't find him believable in that way. Like, yeah, there are, there are plenty of egomaniac asshole businessmen who are just so full of themselves and don't think that uh, anything will ever come back to haunt them. Right. Yeah. And I just, and he's, he treats everyone the way he treats them. And I think it's also clear why he does the things that he does, which is, um, you know, like we, uh, we're talking about some other movies, not always the case, but, um, yeah, I just, I was so impressed with this movie. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I loved it. Um, it's like 11 or 12 for me. It, it's great. I agree with everything you said about it, Jason. Uh, ha ha Josh. No, I mean, Hey, you guys are, everyone's on your side. It seems like, and I mean, I didn't hate it enough to sometimes there's like highly acclaimed movies where I think what is wrong with everyone who liked this? And, and I didn't feel that way about this. It just was definitely not for me. 
you'll feel that way about my number two. But uh, oh, anyway, yeah. I my... think I'm not the only one who feels that way about that. <laughs> yes, we all know <laughs> what we're dreading there. Yeah, but... speaking of it, so but, sunny. But, uh, but, uh, but uh... Dave, just to. Uh, just to correct you, Josh said highly acclaimed movies. Oh, yes. yeah. It's not going <laughs> to fit That's your true. number two. Uh, my number five, we've already talked about. It's The Holdovers. Um, just like I said, it's just such an enjoyable movie. So sweet, so funny. I, I could picture watching this many times in the future. Paul Giamatti can't be understated how great he is. And the rest of the cast is amazing. So, yeah, uh, so good. I agree with both of you having it on your lists. Thank you for agreeing with us, Dave. Yeah, you bet. Well, well, why don't I just say because uh, that's my number four movie, so oh. I'll just take that that pick right there. Uh, yeah, Giamatti, if he wins Best Actor, I'm all for that. Um, I think um, you know a lot of the times, uh, Josh, you mentioned that Alexander Payne didn't did not write this movie, and you know we're used to seeing a lot of films that he did write and direct. Um, but I think you know. Sometimes when you get someone like him or Spike Lee and they're just focused on the directing, that you get like really great product that you might not have thought otherwise. So um, the setting's really co- cool. And Giamatti plays this like intellectual type who's both so secure in his academic uh, knowledge, but really insecure in his, uh, you know, uh, in, in personal interactions, I'd say. And um, he is just... I don't know who else could have pulled this off the way he did. He just, he just did it. Like it's, it's a great movie and kind of like, um, that's, there's this big set piece where they go, you know, out of town and, um, that could either take you away from the movie or elevate it. And in this case, that whole sequence where they go to Boston just elevates the whole thing. So, yeah, I mean, what else what else do we need to say? We all love this. Yeah, Yeah, it's, it's very good. And, and I think, I mean, I think Alexander Payne can be a great writer, but, uh, you know, he did write downsizing. So maybe, you know, his instincts on that were a little questionable and it was good to find this. But, but you know, like I said before, the other thing is that I could easily have seen this script becoming a bad movie. So, you know, his participation in it is is what is key to making the writing work. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, there's at one point where they play Cat uh, Stevens and it's just like, I mean, I really feel like it's akin to Harold and Maude without the uh, love love affair, right? Because you have this older and this younger type. That would have been have an interesting different direction for it to take. No, no, I, I don't want <laughs> no, it to I don't take either. that direction. I just feel like this is like a total throwback and it's so hard to pull off and he does yeah. it. You know, this is, like I said, the Hal Ashby 1970s movie, right? Yeah, yeah. definitely. No, for sure. Well, Josh, what do you have for number four? So my number four is an episode, Dave, that you and I recently, or a movie that you and I recently recorded a Piecing It Together episode about, which I don't know if, if that's out yet, but it's uh, Eileen from director William Oldroyd, who, like Nicole Holliciner, which should get to make movies more often. This is only his second film, and uh, his first was seven years ago, Lady Macbeth. And this is just such a fascinating movie. I had never read the book that it's based on by Otessa Moshfeg, so I didn't know exactly where it's going. And if you don't know, you will not guess where this film is going, is is headed. Um, But even before it takes this crazy twist, I thought it was a fascinating um, sort of relationship portrayal with Thomas and Mackenzie and Anne Hathaway, who are both excellent uh, in this 1960s Massachusetts setting. They both work at this like boys prison and they have this magnetic pull where they're drawn to each other. And uh, it's, it's, it's sort of tense even before you get to the more, uh, you know, pulpy elements of it, let's say. 
Um, but because there's this sexual tension and you don't know in this time period, what can they or can't they do? And they have to kind of navigate it. And there's another movie that has one of the best dance scenes of the year mm-hmm. as these two characters go to a bar together and Anne Hathaway's character kind of pushes away all these, these men who are trying to pick them up and they just dance together and you really feel their connection. So all that stuff is great. And then it takes this crazy turn. And speaking of Marin Ireland from Birth Rebirth, basically has just one amazing scene in this movie where she delivers delivers this like intense monologue and it's fascinating and she just shows up and does that and holds your attention the whole time. So really a movie that also a great score, great cinematography, you know, a movie that, that does a lot of stuff that you don't expect, but does it all really well. Uh, yeah, this is a good movie. I'm shocked that it has a theatrical release because this is something that you see as a screener nowadays uh, or a screener, whatever, a streamer. So but Josh, uh, you mentioned Thomas and McKenzie. This was a really great year for, I think, uh, actresses in their 20s putting on these like kind of risky. Here's another, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of sexual elements here, right, that um, she really goes for. But what I what I was saying is like there's um, Thomas and McKenzie in this. There's Kaylee Spaney in Priscilla. There's Phoebe Denever in Fair Play. And there's Margaret Qualley in Sanctuary. And all these like young actresses are just like breaking out and showing like, man, we have some really great female stars of the future that are ready to go right now. I like this movie. And you're talking about the dance scene. The other thing I wanted to say is the soundtrack, the the songs that they use in this movie are great too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and Shea Wiggum, bro. Shea also Shea Wiggum, great. very, very good at playing very unpleasant people. Um, and, and, and most of those people, those things that you just mentioned, those young actresses, I think I'll talk about not fair play, but fair play, I thought was really good and could have been, you know, toward, uh, you know, the latter part of a longer list, a uh, very good film as well. Yeah. I loved Eileen as well. Definitely my top 20, um, great movie. And yeah, that episode will be out soon. Uh, my number four is poor things, which Jason already brought up. Um, maybe my new favorite Yorgos Lanthimos film. I mean, it's, it's so funny. It's so out there. The whole imaginative world that he paints that is like kind of mirroring her point of view of this, like, you know, distressed, weird, point of view of the world uh it's so just awesome the way that he puts this thing together um it you know of course she deserves uh you know all the awards that she'll get but mark ruffalo is so funny in this willem dafoe is so great uh everyone in it is awesome the score is fantastic and it's just one of the most unique i which it's funny josh said that there's all these different female frankenstein movies this year but still it feels unique even with other movies that uh, are playing with that format it's great and it's interesting that it's doing so well like it seems like a lot of people who wouldn't otherwise see a movie this out there are seeing it and really enjoying it so we keep Talking about all the good things about it, but I, let's I talk about say, some of the gotta, poor things about no, it. No, <laughs> oh, no, but I mean, why are, but like Gerard Carmichael does not hold up to the rest of this cast, does he? No, I mean, I agree. We, we talked about this and yeah, he's a very weak link here. Mm, yeah. So, 
So I just want to be honest and say these are the things that work. And But I love the boat sequence otherwise. Watch me get a one-star Apple podcast rating from Gerard Carmichael, who was listening to this and is like, <laughs> fuck that guy. Like Only Dave would think that um, <laughs> when we criticize a movie, that one of the celebrities in the movie would be listening to his podcast. <laughs> Only because it's a random like aside. But yeah. I'm just saying, like you know, because I had his movie on my top 10 list last year. And yeah, I, even yeah. in that, I thought he was better. But I just don't think... I think he's more talented behind the camera. Like, let's let's move on from him as an actor. Yeah, fair enough. I watched that after our top ten last year on the count of three. It's pretty good. All right. Yeah. Way to go. But this is a great movie. Yeah, so. for sure. I keep saying great movies. Oh, we're, we're talking about great movies, right? Isn't that the that, point of yeah. this episode? That is the thing. Absolutely. Speaking of great movies, Josh, what is the third greatest movie of 2023? Well, Jason just mentioned Kaylee Spaney, and my number three pick is Priscilla, which she stars in from... Sophia Coppola, and she is fantastic as Priscilla Presley, and and she is really good in the kind of like biopic performance where she has to play the same character from age fourteen to age twenty seven, and that's not easy to do, and be convincingly of that age at each point and of that maturity level, and especially in this film where. Priscilla starts off as this very like naive, sheltered teenager, and over the course of the movie becomes jaded and cynical and really fully understanding of this this celebrity world that she's been immersed in. And Kaylee Spaney does a fantastic job with that. Um, I think this movie is just a great character study. And it's, I think, one of Sofia Coppola's best movies. And a real, I mean, she definitely takes on a lot of the same themes in a lot of her films. But, you know, this distills a lot of that you know, you talk about like the Virgin Suicides or the Bling Ring or Somewhere or Marie Antoinette, all of these movies about like young women in this sort of trapping of privilege and how that can be a cage for them as well as a liberation for them. And this movie is all about that as well. You think that this woman, as she, you know, gets all this wealth and fame, it just makes her life more constrained. And it's just, it looks beautiful. Another, a great score, the costume design, the hair and makeup, the little details. I just was fascinated by it. And I don't always love Sofia Coppola's movies, but I feel like when I do, I really love them. And this is one of her best. Another great soundtrack, right? And they didn't have the rights to Elvis's music, so they were very creative there. Um, speaking of Elvis, it's funny that Austin Butler got so much attention, yet people are seem to be overlooking Jacob Elordi, who I thought was great in this Yeah, movie. he really, really um, is, yeah. Yeah, so my issue with it, I really liked the first hour, and I felt the second hour was just one big montage, and it lost some of the emotional impact for me there because I just felt we were repeating ourselves in different ways. It's still a good movie, probably maybe top five Co Sofia Coppola for me, but not top three, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, I think that is a, a common biopic problem is that even if you're not covering like 50 years or whatever, like Maestro does, for example, that you can feel like sort of fast forwarding through someone's life. And, and you're right, it, it covers a lot more ground in the last part than it does in the first part. Um, it still all worked for me, and I thought the montage nature of it actually kind of fit in with the almost dreamlike feel of like her life feeling like it's accelerated as she's put into this world. But yeah, I mean, that does happen. It's something I felt like with The Iron Claw, for example, also this year, which otherwise I think is a really good movie, and I don't know if it's coming up later, but, um, you know, does that a bit as well. Yeah, I liked it, didn't love it. Um, I thought it was a little too, like... Oh, Sofia Coppola is making a Priscilla Presley movie. That's exactly what I expected it to be, you know, but um, 
It was good, though, and the, both the performances are great. And good work, Toronto, doubling as Memphis. Yeah, way to go, Toronto. <laughs> Best supporting city. Jason, what's your number three? Uh, number three, Josh brought it up already. And honestly, I would say, like, you know, like I said, pretty much any of these from five to one, you could mix them and move them to where whatever position they are. That's how much I liked all five of these movies. But it's Past Lives, um, Celine Song, um, What a Script. Uh, what a first time effort. The camera work is so precise and adds meaning to what she does. We've already talked about how great the performances are and everything here is earned emotionally. And I think, you know, maybe that's because she has that playwright background. Maybe it's because she chose uh, obviously a subject that she knows very well of, uh, of because this is her like kind of uh, a version of her life. Right. Is mm -hmm. that what we're going to say? Um, and I think that kind of, here's a, a spoiler, right? Like after she kind of chooses, you know, to, you know, Hey, this is the life I chose. I'm sticking with it. And we get that big scene where she just breaks down in her husband's arms because I'm choosing you, but look at all I'm giving up, not just a lost love, but a culture, right? That was the big thing is they shared a culture and she doesn't share that with anyone else. Um, I just thought it was so amazing. I mean, in my mind right now, I see those two uh, leads walking through the park and then we're on them and then we just come down into the park into all this landscape and now they're down on the path and we're back on them in one shot. And I was just, I can't wait to see what else Celine Song does. And all three of these actors, we know Maguro's on his way up. I think Greta Lee is clearly going to be on her way up. And, um, you know, Tao, you like, I, I'm excited for everyone involved with this project. Just, just. They they knocked it out of the park on this one. Yeah, yeah. Jason's really looking forward to Celine Song's Eternals too. <laughs> Can't wait. Please don't do it. Please. <laughs> I'm just, I like. I'm excited. You know, we're talking about some some really independent voices here, and I'm kind of thinking, you know, with the A24ization of mainstream movies, maybe we'll see more of those kind of voices get to tell more stories because of the success of so many of like the everything everywhere all at once is. And I think we probably have a lot of a 20. I don't know. This was a 24. Yes. Yeah, right? it was. Yeah. I yeah. know I have yes. several of theirs and neon. I mean, they're really like neck and neck in terms of. These yeah. Movies. Yeah. Neon really had a great year uh, of releasing quality movies, but we could be, you know, going back, like I said, the nineties and the seventies where these kind of independent voices break through and they're, we're telling more unique stories American fiction was that again, like, uh, so th this is what I want to see, even the holdover or something like that. So I I'm really, really impressed with this film. Yeah, yeah. I agree. And I, I hope that that will happen as you say, but I think it's more likely that we get Mattel toy movies. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Celine song didn't do the, um, Eternals too. She did Mr. Potato right. Well, Wallace we got Lena Dunham's Polly pocket movie coming up. So, you know, that's, that's where we are. Oh boy! Yeah, the, I think I have higher expectations for Celine yeah, Song than fair that. enough. Let, let's hope. So that. smart, she's yeah. so smart. She really, really, um, every character y you believe, and like I said, it's all earned. Everything that they're going through. Yeah, yeah. No, great, great pick, uh, great movie. Um, and speaking of neon, my number three is Infinity Pool from Brandon Cronenberg, which I know I liked more than both of you guys. Uh, we talked about Antiviral over on Awesome Movie Year, and we talked about Possessor on Piecing It Together. Um, but I'm three for three with Brandon Cronenberg. I think this is his best movie, and I just think it is such an interesting look at 
a, a person kind of breaking down and letting these awful influences into himself. Uh, I think it is super unique. I know that Brandon Cronenberg is definitely kind of getting into a zone of his own making where he's just kind of working on the same themes throughout these movies. But Or I, his dad's making. <laughs> hey, there you go. That's true. But I mean, we also have the sister coming up next year, so we'll see what happens with that. But um, I think he's just perfecting this and like doing some really exciting, interesting stuff. Mia Goth is just completely insane in this movie and so just uh, intoxicating to watch. Alexander Skarsgård is great as this kind of schmuck who lets himself fall into this situation. Um, I love this movie. I think it was number three for me also at the middle of the year, and it stayed there. It's great. I thought it was all right. Possessor is my favorite of the three. Um, you are right. And Mia Goth is becoming a must watch actress, right? No matter what she does, you know, she's going to take a big swing. Um, and I think you could say the same about Skarsgård. And, um, you know, as far as like these eat the rich destination movies, this had a lot going for it. It just didn't, um, you know, kind of elevate to the next level for me. But I can I'm glad that movies like this are out there and that people like, you know, uh, people are finding them and that you are getting this pleasure from them, Dave, of seeing horrible, horrible things happen to people. (laughs) Yeah. I I liked it more than Jason did. I, it it was on my list somewhere. I know when we did the mid-year top 10 and it's not now, but, um, I, I, I am definitely intrigued to see whatever Brandon Cronenberg does next, even if it is another variation on similar themes, because I think he does it really well. And hey, this movie came out in January so that you were, you know, it held on to you for that long. That's that's pretty impressive. Absolutely. And again, more crazy sex. Uh, Sex is back in this. I hope it is. I hope it is. Yes. Yes. All right, Josh, number two. Well, speaking of sex being back in the cinema, my number two is Sanctuary, which is a very sexually charged film. Just uh, basically just two characters played by, as Jason mentioned earlier, Margaret Qualley, as well as Christopher Abbott, who was also in Poor Things, uh, having a, a good year for him as well. And it's just this fascinating dynamic between these two characters, the dominatrix played by Margaret Qualley and Christopher Abbott's character, who's uh, an heir to this like hotel empire and has decided that as he's going to take over this family business, he has to uh, let go this woman that he's been seeing and uh, sort of deny the sexual fetishes that he's been indulging with her and over the course of this essentially almost real-time story they kind of go back and forth in this power struggle and they uh are are constantly shifting in terms of who is in control and why and what what ways that they can use their power and what kinds of power that they have and you know it seems like it's very tense at times and it seems like it's going to be a a movie that could potentially spill into violence and could have become a very different kind of story. And ultimately as it goes on, you realize that this is a love story. And I just really loved that that was the direction that it went, that you think at the beginning, you're like, oh, these people are fucked up. And it's like, oh, these people are fucked up, but they're fucked up in perfectly complimentary ways that they just have to realize how right they are for each other and things will be great. Uh, Margaret Qualley, definitely my pick for like best actress here. So good. And um, I don't know. This was just clearly on my wavelength and I and I loved it. Are you saying she's your pick for best actress this year? Uh, I think so. Yeah. I mean, if if not, I'll have to let me look at my long list of all these things that I've written down. I do. Yeah, I have her. I have her at the top of my list. I do. I think she's I mean, they're both good. You know what I'm thinking about right now is 
because uh, you mentioned Lena Dunham, right? And Christopher Abbott and Adam Driver were the boyfriends on Girls. And when Girls was on, if you would have said who will become the two stars, right? You might have picked Driver, but you would have definitely picked one of the women. And obviously, Allison Williams is doing great as this kind of modern scream queen. But like Abbott and Driver are really, really kind of, um, you know, pushing their boundaries as actors, I'd say. Yeah. Um, so, Josh, for me, um, and, it, you know, I know last year you had Good Luck Leo Grand on your list, right? This is like the anti-version. <laughs> right, yeah. Right? All one room. <laughs> sure. And a totally different version. But the part that you loved is the part where it lost me, where we get an hour of the way through. And, you know, like you mentioned, in Eileen, we get this crazy turn and it works. Here, when we kind of get to the love story and the resolution of it, I just... It did not work as opposed to fair play, where I would say that did work for me. Yeah. And I, I mean, as I was saying before, I like fair play a lot and it deals with some of these similar themes um, in a maybe more cynical way. But um, that was that was excellent, too. I mean, if you liked that, I feel like that was more widely seen. Maybe if you saw fair play and you liked it, see Sanctuary, I think, you know, there's a lot of the similar stuff going on there. And and, and I mean, this, you know, you bring the point is right. Fair play was a straight uh, Netflix movie right. came out on Netflix. This had a theatrical release before it hit Hulu. And, you know, you wonder about the visibility now of how these things get seen. Yeah. I mean, they all just kind of go into the void somewhere. Yeah. I really liked Sanctuary as well, Josh. And I don't remember if we mentioned this earlier when talking about poor things, but both of them in poor things, a little. Oh, double... that's right. Right. Margaret. Margaret Polly has like nothing to do in poor things. You could have. Oh, I think she's great. Oh, is she. I didn't even realize that's. She's the new, yeah, the new she's Bella, the new right? Bella yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. That was kind yeah. of a worthless thing. I didn't even character. realize that was yeah. her. Yeah. So, yeah. No, great pick. Uh, Jason, what do you have next? Number two, again, Josh has blown up my <laughs> spot here. It's how to blow up a pipeline mm. and talk about a movie that starts with a propulsion and can carry and sustain that energy all the way through. Man, I don't know. I don't know how they did this, how they made it, and how they kept, they ratcheted up the tension. Each of these characters, you know, we have these kind of like lost style flashbacks where like we're seeing them kind of planning the blowing up of the pipeline and we're seeing how they got there. And that's so easy to uh, take you out of the movie, but instead it just adds on. And all the stuff of the actual, you know, uh, plan to blow up the pipeline and how and why they do it, what works, what doesn't, and how uh, different all these people are. Like, I don't know. I I don't know how they pulled this off, you know, and I kind of maybe would say the same thing about BlackBerry, but this is such a great movie and I'm so excited to kind of see what comes next from these actors and the filmmaker. Like just, yeah, watch this movie. It's on Hulu. Yeah, it is great. And like I was saying, I think this is one that it, it I didn't see it. We, both of us didn't see it till later, but it did come out earlier in the year and seems to have faded a bit from the conversation. But it is really good. And if you think like, oh, I don't want to watch some sort of activist movie or whatever, like, no, this is just a great suspense movie. This is one of the best thrillers that you'll see this year. Right. Yeah, it, that's what I would say it is. It's a thriller and it um, has you tense from moment one all the way through. And, um, you know, Goldhaber has one other movie that I haven't seen. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm excited to see where he goes. Like, this is what's exciting is all these kind of directors doing different things that we maybe weren't uh, like, you know, we've mentioned Celine song there. Like I'm excited to see what all these people do next. I'm excited to watch it. Um, My number two is a movie called fool's paradise. I see Josh already laughing over there. Uh, 
look, I understand nobody else is going to have this on their top 10. Um, but Maybe on their I, top 10 movie, worst films of the year. I feel yeah, like most top 10s. That's yeah. true. Yeah, you're definitely right. Uh, let, let me quickly jump in. Forget top 10 worst films of the year. This was the worst film <laughs> I've seen this wow, year. There you go. You need to see more bad this, movies, Jason, because there's a lot worse. Yeah, I know. There's a lot. Uh, I don't want to. If there's a lot worse than this, I don't want to see yeah. it. Look, I will just say... Uh, this movie to me, and like, I get it. Like I get like the general gist of it. It's, you know, it's a, you know, a classic Hollywood kind of send up. It's, it's a, you know, a, a Hollywood satire that, you know, maybe depending on who you ask is just regurgitating old ideas or whatever. I don't care about any of that. This is the funniest movie I've watched this year. This movie beginning to end makes me die laughing. Uh, I wasn't really even expecting that much out of it. I mean, you know, of course I like Charlie Day. I love It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I did not expect his directorial debut to be this funny to me. Um, but this movie is essentially the 10. It's Death to Smoochie. It's Freddy Got Fingered. It's Pootie Tang. It's this long line of of critically and box office disasters that everybody hates. And then you find out 10, 15 years later, oh yeah, I love that movie. I, I genuinely believe that this is a movie that I will not be alone in, in loving years down the road. When I sat there in the theater watching it with all of like four other people, the five of us dying laughing the whole time. I didn't know them, you know, strangers in the theater, all you, of us you, laughing. You hadn't hired them to come along with you? <laughs> I, I probably should have to get this movie a little bit extra bucks. But yeah, I, I know that right now I'm in the vast, vast minority here, but I am going to ride for it for as long as I can. I've watched it three times now, and every time I laugh just as hard. And Jason's shaking his head, but I don't care. Uh I mean, this is this is nonsense. Yeah, I mean, good good for you, I guess, but nonsense. I, I don't understand what you're saying. It's the funniest movie of the year. Like, funny has to make you laugh. Well, and it, uh, this it made him laugh, Somebody, I guess. I know. I know. I'm. I and I. Hey, I applaud you. You have your own taste, and you know, uh, five people in the popcorn and puzzle pieces group agree with. I don't you, even like, think it's up to five that. yet, but but uh, <laughs> I just. I, I mean, this all fell flat for me all the way through. I like Ken Jeong, maybe, but. Um, yeah, just, just just didn't work, and um, the I mean I don't even want to break down the logic of it. Josh, just take it. Well, I would say first of all, I love Jason that both you and I watched this movie specifically so we could come on here and tell Dave how wrong he was and how much it, it's. I appreciate. You know, well, we have these acclaimed movies on our lists, and at least one of us is like, oh, I didn't get to see that yet, but we all watched this movie. Yeah, but what if he was right? Maybe he would have been right. right. Yeah, maybe maybe he would have been. So I, yeah. I you, you'll you'll know that I was 10, 15 years. From now, uh, you'll see. No, no, I will definitely <laughs> see. I mean, I think like that list of movies you ran off. <laughs> there are a lot of intolerable ones on there. Too. Oh, those are some of my all time favorites. I mean, but I think the other thing with that is like whether you like those movies or not. Those movies are so much weirder and so much more idiosyncratic than this, which is just this very basic like isn't showbiz crazy kind of movie. Like there's nothing creative about this film at all. And the fact that it's, it sat there for five years and then they went and did some reshoots to try and I don't know what they did and what was taken out and what was added, but they, they did not effectively salvage it. Ken Jeong is so grating in this movie. I did not oh, like him so, at all. He, he's so grating. I, That's what yeah, I, I did it, not, I, I, I did <laughs> not laugh at laugh once. And, and I will say as much as I didn't like Blackberry, as far as, uh, it's always sunny projects. Uh, I will definitely take Blackberry over this. But uh, yeah, good for you, Dave, for standing by your principles. Sometimes you just got to do it. You got to you got to stand in the fire, you know. Yeah. 
But uh, let's go to your number one, Josh. What do you got? Well, my number one is 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 remains from the halfway point, and it's "Are You There, God?" It's me, Margaret Kelly Freeman Craig's adaptation of Judy Bloom's coming of age novel. Just a beautiful, affecting story. Some of the best acting this year. Abby Ryder Fortson, one of the best like child performances this year as that main character who you really feel for and you really understand, even if you haven't specifically gone through the things that she goes through in terms of being a teenage girl or in terms of being, you know, kind of torn between these two religious traditions, just the idea of being that age and trying to figure out what the hell is going on with your life and, you know, understanding that your parents are people who've made choices and those choices have affected you, but they've also affected them and figuring out who is a friend and who is just somebody who's kind of using you. Um, Elle Graham also, who plays her sort of semi-mean girlfriend, I think has her performance has been underrated even when people are talking about this film, is really, really good. Um, Rachel McAdams, so fantastic in this movie. And that's something that Kelly Freeman Craig expanded from the book and gave a bigger arc to the mother character. And it works beautifully the way it dovetails with the arc for the other character and how you can see, you know, coming of age is something that never really ends, that you can be a middle-aged mother and you're still faced with these new circumstances and how do you fit into the world and how can you figure that out and how can you impart that then to your child so that she doesn't have to struggle the same way that you struggled. So just so good. And, you know, like William Oldroyd, like Nicole Holofcener, I feel like Kelly Freeman Craig needs more people to give her money so she can make movies more often than this. Um, but I just, I love this film. It's great. It's absolutely great. It's like you said, uh, Rachel McAdams is so damn good in this. And uh, yeah, it's it's a movie I feel like uh, we said it with the holdovers. I feel like this is another one of those movies that anybody who watches it is probably going to like it. And I am anybody and I watched it and I liked it. It's <laughs> hey, a very go. good movie. Right. <laughs> um, you know, probably closer to 20 for me, but mm -hmm. um, then top 10. But, you know, this is a point that, you know, going back to Barbie and Josh, I, I agree. Rachel McAdams, let's give her, uh, you know, at least an Academy Award supporting actress nod. But that character, as opposed to America Ferreira's character, is kind of, which I know got a lot of acclaim, but I felt like the America Ferreira character was one note. It was repeating the same thing over and over, and it just didn't affect me. Whereas this character, and that's not a knock on America Ferreira's performance. I just think uh, it wasn't written as uh, three-dimensionally as this character, which Rachel McAdams really um, does such a wonderful job with. And I think, you know, there's a, that's what I mean with clunkiness versus something that is really, really refined here. And um yeah, this is a good movie. Yeah, I mean, I think that America Ferrera character, like almost all the characters in Barbie, is sort of like an archetype more than a person. And that's kind of what yeah. that movie is going for. And yeah, Rachel McAdams here is much more like integrated into the story as as a distinctive person, even if you can identify with her on some universal themes. But, well, the reason I brought it up is because I don't feel like people are saying that. I feel like people are saying that character, the Ferrera character is like, the grounding and like kind of like the real worlding of it and also like showcasing the themes in a in a dynamic way whereas this is a much better version of that yeah i mean i don't i don't need to to to, to you know talk shit on Barbie to say that this is a great movie and uh, and I think a better movie than Barbie, but I also like Barbie. So if, if you like Barbie, just watch this and like them both. I didn't dislike Barbie. I'm right. just saying this is a better movie. Yeah. I agree. 
Jason, number one, what do you got? Number one, a surprise for me. Um, and, you know, when you talk about big directors, you got to put this guy in there. It's uh, David Fincher's The Killer. Mm-hmm. I was not expecting this to be my number one. And even when I was watching this, I was kind of a little all over the place. Um, in my top 10 first time watches of this year, I have Badlands from Terrence Malick. And that movie kind of blew me away because like, I was like, how did he get the, so much narration in this and it's kind of like um mo- moves the momentum forward usually when you get so much narration in a movie it kind of takes away but um i compare that to this i think the fastbender character um is uh with all the narration it all works for me i mean that whole first sequence where he actually built the sets of the apartment so you can look from one to the next and kind of really use a re, uh, tight space in dynamic ways. Nobody does that better than Fincher, I'd say, right? Um, and, you know, we get to the Tilda Swinton scene, which um, uh, everyone has mentioned kind of um, really showcases a different aspect of the character, of the story. And, uh, you know, Dave, I think you got to talk about the sound design and soundtrack. Obviously, I love, you know, the Smiths, but all the, the sound design also where we hear him you know, in different levels, depending on where the action is taking place. Um, I just kind of love this movie. I was so shocked. Um, at, not that I don't like other Fincher movies, but I didn't think this was going to end up being my number one, but it is. And I, I would watch it again today and be really happy to do that. Hmm. Yeah. You know, I was surprised. I feel like we've talked so much about movies that you've watched that you've liked. And I, I've heard you talk about basically, I think all these movies that you mentioned, but I don't know if we ever discussed this one. So I'm surprised to hear that, but that's, That's great. I wish I liked this movie as much as you did because I do love David Fincher and I was really excited for this film. And to me, it just felt like a sort of David Fincher light. Um, I didn't feel really particularly engaged in the story or the character. And I can admire the meticulous way he puts things together. You know, like you mentioned that apartment set or whatever. And there's a couple moments, the Tilda Swinton scene that you talked about, she's great in this for like 10 minutes. She shows up and really steals the movie and there's one great fight sequence in a, a like a house in, in florida, florida where it's all dark yeah. and is really exciting but uh, otherwise it sort of didn't do as much for me as i hoped it would well you just mentioned the whole movie so um <laughs> no i mean you know um the you know another movie i could compare it to is out of sight where like each segment each city has its own feel and like kind of its own story that all kind of works to you know build the entire thing and i think it effectively does that uh, and I'm okay with it, Josh, if it's not your favorite, that's okay, buddy. Right. Well, thank you. So, but yeah, no, I just, I, I I'm ready to watch it right now. So I, see you get later guys. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it too. I uh, didn't love it, but I liked it. Uh, Fastbender is just, you could so easily just spend 90 minutes with Fastbender. He's just so great. And yeah, I mean, the, you're right about the sound design. I mean, really incredible stuff with, you know, all that Smith's music and the, the Trent Reznor Atticus Ross score and, uh, you know, everything the way that they they play with the sound um you know it's it's a fincher movie it's meticulous in every aspect of that kind of stuff so uh, you know this is one i did not get to see on the big screen i don't think many people did uh, and i would have i think this is a movie that would have lended itself to that experience but i'll take what i can get here my number one is John Wick Chapter 4. Um, and keep in mind, Chapter 3 is still my favorite of the series, but this is my favorite movie of the year. Um, Chad Stahelski and Keanu Reeves just continually topping themselves as far as pulling off insane action sequences. Um, this franchise, 
I get that some people, I believe Josh is one of those people, think that it should have stayed more of a, you know, contained, uh, just yeah. revenge thriller and not gotten into all this stuff that it gets into, all the lore and all that stuff. I love all that. I think that it is, it's taking this series, and yeah, it, it could have just stayed a simple kind of B-movie throwback uh, revenge thing, but it's taking it and just going as far over the top as it can possibly go. And I think they just keep raising the stakes each time in ways that are exciting and unexpected and funnier each time out. Um, I know that this series is not going to end here where, you know, we already have a spinoff movie coming with Anna de Armas. We had the spinoff series, which I did not watch. And we'll probably get a John Wick 5 somehow, um, even though they really shouldn't. Um, but as far as these first four movies, I, I love them so much. And I, I think that everything that's been added here is just incredibly fun additions to the mythos of this whole John Wick nonsense that they have built up. And I, uh, I think that some of these sequences are some of the best things I saw in a movie theater this year. Yeah, it's just, I mean... I guess I'm in the minority on this too, because these movies are still acclaimed, although I feel like it's dropped off a little bit with this installment, but still generally uh, very, very popular and very well reviewed. But yeah, I like the first John Wick. I think it's a very good example of that kind of uh, simple revenge thriller with great well-staged action and a clear through line. And I just think that it's gotten worse and worse as it goes along. And the insane mythology takes away from, to me, what is the appeal of the character in the first place? This movie is nearly as long as Bo is afraid. Like there is way, 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 way too much of it. And I feel like it also undermines the coolness of the stunts because each individual sequence goes on like twice as long as it should. And then there's like 10 more to go and it just is numbing after a while. So I really did not like this movie, which is a shame because it's, you know, started out as something that was so refreshing and enjoyable and has become this like stultifying to me, uh, just slog. So it's, it's a shame uh, to me. It's disappointing where this has gone. Jason, am I right that you haven't seen these movies? I have not, but Dave, get back to me in a year and I'll have new opinions on them. But um, yeah, I don't know why I, ha I wouldn't have because these are right up my alley. They really right? are. I so, mean, especially the first one uh, is a hundred percent the kind of yeah. film that you always enjoy. All right, give me one year, fellas. <laughs> yeah. One year, and I will have uh, John Wick thoughts for you. All right. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. So uh, honorable mentions. Let's get a few in there, mm. and then we'll get to some favorite movie moments. But Josh, we'll start with you. Anything that like just missed your list that you wanted to bring up? Yeah, I mean, there's a few things that I talked about in the halfway uh, episode that I still think are really good. Uh, Rye Lane, the uh, romantic comedy oh, yeah. that I know Jason liked a lot as well. Uh, another mm -hmm. great debut from an up and coming filmmaker, Rain Allen Miller, who I'm curious to see what she does next. Uh, Influencer, which is a really excellent thriller and another one of these movies that kind of goes in unexpected directions and is always like surprising you with what happens to it uh, in it. And uh, a super underrated film that I mentioned in that episode called Daughter, which is a really small scale, like straight to VOD production with a great performance from Casper Van Dien, of all people, was on my nice. best actor list. Um, and uh, beyond that stuff that I mentioned there, uh, I do want to give a shout out to another documentary called Kokomo City, which is uh, a, another an excellent debut from D. Smith, a very personal story and really stylish uh, visually, which I think is one of the things that gets me 
like less enthused about documentaries is they all just kind of look like news reports. And I'm, I'm always really excited when a documentary is cinematic and this has this great black and white, uh, almost like throwback MTV look with its interviews and, uh, following these four black trans sex workers as they talk about their lives. And it's really fascinating and well-made. And finally, a movie that I think a lot of people very dismissed and it seems like the kind of movie that I also would dismiss, but I found really fascinating, which is Dumb Money, the story about mm. the GameStop uh, stock scandal, which in some ways is a very basic, like, let's grab a recent news story and make a movie out of it. But I thought captured the specific moment of pandemic lockdown better than any other movie. And like the GameStop story, fine, but the pandemic stuff to me was just perfectly calibrated and the, the divide between the rich and the poor and the people who could kind of lock themselves away in their mansions and the people who had to continue going to work in retail stores and delivery. And it just, to me, was really well done. A lot of great actors in it. And that almost made my top 10. That's one I think that I was right on the borderline. And I just wanted to mention it because it's been so easily dismissed and I think it shouldn't be. Yeah, I totally agree with you about Dumb Money. Um, it's not the best movie of the year, but the sense of setting of that 2020 like is perfect. They really pulled that off really well. But uh, yeah, so that's a great one. And Rylane is great. Absolutely. Uh, what about you, Jason? So I'm going to hold off on one of them for our movie moments because I picked a scene from that. But let me uh, we've already mentioned like Spider-Man and the Iron Claw which are both on there. Iron Claw, definitely. You got to watch that movie if you haven't seen it. So let me give you a few others. Um, when I was at uh, the Cordillera Film Festival, we saw The Artifice Girl, uh, which has really, it got an independent spirit, a nod for the John Cassavetes Award, which uh, Franklin Rich uh, did a very kind of uh, low budget, interesting take on AI. And everyone's doing something with AI, but I thought his... Uh, you know, take on this uh, AI to help catch child um, predators. And uh, those are people who prey on children, not children who are predators there. Um, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, was um, really good. And the Lance Hendrickson sequence is, is uh, quite excellent there. So uh, I wanted to mention that. Um, I'm going to mention Ray Romano, Somewhere in Queens, um, which almost made my top 10. And I think American fiction as kind of like a family story kind of took it out there. But I thought this was a great directorial debut. All the characters are believable. It's funny. Ray Romano is a better actor than he gets credit for. And, you know, we covered Moonstruck on uh, Awesome Movie Year in 1987. This kind of has that feel of like that Italian New York family that I really like. Um, and then the last one I want to mention is Jonathan Glazer's The Zone of Interest. This is one of those movies. I don't know how he pulled it off. Blazer, we know, is an interesting filmmaker, but to have you kind of interested in the Nazi guard and his family at Auschwitz, um, uh, they live right outside of Auschwitz, and kind of the idea of uh, how they just go about their everyday normal lives and their business is it's a hard watch, but it's a really good watch. I don't even understand all of this movie. There are like black and white sequences that if you're like, what happened there? I probably couldn't explain them to you, but um yeah, it's one of the more interesting movies made this year. I will say I didn't love Somewhere in Queens, but I, I'm with you on Ray Romano deserving more credit than he gets as as an actor um, and as a writer, too. You know, he wrote and directed that film. Um, I think he he has a lot more talent than than people give him credit for. Although I feel like it's coming around a bit. You know, Scorsese, when Scorsese casts him in a movie and and says, hey, this guy is talented, you know, people start paying attention. 
Right. What right. movie did he cast him in? In The Irishman. He was an Irishman. I've never yeah. seen it. I never seen it. <laughs> no, not I a big Scorsese fan. One, I ranked it number one that year that it came out. So, uh, so yeah, I thought you were going to have the Iron Claw on your list. Honestly, that's what I, I just my, said. I, I no, said but I mean on your top ten mention. list. You know, it's yeah. definitely one of my honorable mentions for sure as well. Um, other movies we already mentioned that were on my honorable mentions: Blackberry, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, Eileen, and American Fiction. So the other two I will quickly mention. Uh, first of all. Oppenheimer, I don't love as much as a lot of other people, but I, I'm always rooting for Christopher Nolan, and I think this was his best movie in years and years. So I think yeah, that's thank goodness that... you're rooting for him. He's not a guy who gets <laughs> he breaks needs more and support. opportunities. Yeah, I, I, so. I want the guy to make a good movie. You know, I, mm-hmm. I like when I like when people I like make good movies. Um, the other one on my list, uh, you guys thought Fool's Paradise was bad. Whew. My other honorable mention is Mafia Mama, oh. which. I loved so dumb, so much fun. That was worse than Fool's Paradise. <laughs> it was like I I tried. I I I contributed to a piece on the the worst movies of the year, and I I, I that was one of my suggestions that I wanted to write about, and I didn't get a chance to uh, because they didn't want to. They only wanted to like. Uh, hammer on like successful movies or whatever and not punch sure. down, I guess, or whatever. But it deserves to be punched down on. It's so, 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 so bad. Oh, so good. Did you see it, Jason? No, because um, I'm probably going to agree with Josh on this one. But <laughs> yeah. I did want to say you mentioned Oppenheimer, which, again, I didn't love, but also thought was good. But, you know, we we talked about Air a little bit. Matt Damon just stole every uh, every scene he was in in both those movies. He's great. Yeah, he's always rocks. good. He's always good yeah. coming in for, you know, like a, a unexpected supporting role. But, yeah. but you know, he's a big movie star, right? And like the character he plays in Air is like the kind of uh, schlubby, out of shape guy. And um, I appreciate that he's willing to, you know, um, uh, take risks like that. Yeah, yeah, sure. for sure. So let's do some favorite movie moments. Josh, just go right through them. What do you have for three of your favorite movie moments this year? They could be from top 10 movies or from other movies as well. Well, I decided to pick from other movies because I feel like I might as well spread around. And and none of these are movies that would even really have probably come close to my top 10, but all had really great moments. And, you know, we keep talking about dance scenes. So I kind of combine here, I'm going to put two dance scenes uh, together that were were really fun to watch and movies that were generally fun, but not necessarily fantastic. One is, you know, and we talked about memes too, is Megan, Megan dancing down the hallway. (laughs) So good. And as much as it was like a good meme, it was like a good moment in the movie. It made sense. And it was a moment where you were in the movie and you're like, yeah, Megan, dance it, do it. It was so (laughs) fun. And that movie is like not as fun as it should have been, I think based on the memes but it was still enjoyable and that scene was great and uh the other one the other dance scene in a movie that was less uh heavily hyped but maybe so more so here in vegas because it was shot here in sympathy for the devil the nicholas cage film and he has one of his very nicholas cagey moments there where his character who's this very menacing mysterious dangerous guy they're in a diner and he puts on the disco classic i love the nightlife and he's dancing to it in a way that makes you believe that he's about to go from dancing to murdering and it's the perfect like fine line between dancing and murdering which i guess is what megan is doing too really so dance sure. Murder yeah. scenes, really. Dance murder. Yeah, dance yeah. murder is, is what I'm all about this year. Yeah, that sounds um, great. Murder dance. So, uh, 
My sec- actually, these 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 other two are kind of related as well. They both involve uh, death via vehicle. So uh, my second is from a movie called Suitable Flesh, which was a very enjoyable kind of B movie. Uh, it's a love H.P. Lovecraft adaptation from Joe Lynch, starring Heather Graham, who is super underrated and is excellent in that. And uh, it, you know, it's not necessarily a great film, but it's a very fun movie. And one of the really creative moments in the movie is where a character is murdering another character with a car and Joe Lynch shoots it via the backup camera of the car. And so you see the car backing up and running over this person over and over again. And it's definitely the best use of a backup camera I've ever seen in a film. So that was a lot of fun. Um, And then my last pick is from Ferrari, a much more serious uh, vehicular, uh, you know, violence moment in the big car race in that film, the Mille Miglia. And there's a really horrific scene of Mm. of a Mm. car crashing and just like taking out like nine people. And it's so, I mean, I guess maybe it isn't unexpected if you know the real story, but it was unexpected to me. And in a movie that's kind of a, a fine straight ahead biopic. The racing stuff is really good, but it goes from the racing stuff being really exciting to being like, oh shit. And uh, so I really liked that movement moment in Ferrari. I yeah. think that whole sequence, yeah. uh, that whole race is, uh, you know, pretty breathtaking. That's the best part of uh, <clears throat> the movie. Right, yeah, of a movie that's sure. uneven and, you know, in a lot of other ways, I think. I really wanted to see Suitable Flesh. I haven't gotten a chance yet, but uh, I, I will look forward to seeing that uh, backup cam death. Yeah, I mean, the movie great. as a whole is is enjoyable too, I think. Yeah, for sure. How about you, Jason? Okay, so I did it based on uh, performances, and I also did what... Um, I didn't put any of my top 10 in there because I wanted to mention other movies. We did mention Dave Bautista, who I've been championing all year. I was so impressed with him in Knocking the Cabin and this guy like could have easily done the Dwayne Johnson thing and just been a big action star. And, you know, obviously he's done some big action movies, but he's also even in the, uh, even in the big mainstream movies that he's doing, he's taking chances like in Dune and everything, but not at the cabin. Um, you know, I'm up and down on Shyamalan. I think this is a pretty good movie that he's done here. And I am so impressed with Dave Batista's performance in this thing. Um, you know, he's so physically imposing and for him to, um, get you to empathize, even if you don't agree with him because of, um, just how soft-spoken and caring he is as this performer. I just, I, he just, he's awesome. He's great. I'm big fan of Batista. I'm excited to see what else he does. Um, the second one was an honorable mention that I didn't mention and almost made my top 10. It's from Asteroid City, which I think has a lot of great set design, set pieces, jokes, and performances. But the scene that steals the movie is and uh, I maybe her best scene all year, which is saying a lot because of her other movie. But it's the Margot Robbie, Jason Schwartzman balcony scene in black and white. And it's beautiful. And she is... Schwartzman always delivers in uh, these Wes Anderson movies, but she is so, so good in this. Like, it's just like, um, you know, an incredible performance here. So, um, you know, if you haven't seen that, yes, see Barbie, see how good she is. But see this because this has a lot of good performances and she just in that one scene is incredible. Um, My third one, and this was the the most exciting uh, best scene I've seen in movies this year. And it's getting a lot of love from a lot of people, but I was watching it. I watched it four times in a row 
um, because I was that impressed with it. It was Bradley Cooper conducting uh, Mahler's Second Symphony in England in that whatever church, castle, whatever it is. And just, I thought the camera work, how it moves from orchestra to conductor and everything in between. The music is uh, obviously a, a classical piece of renown and Cooper if this is his Oscar year for best actor, this is what wins it for him. Um, I was just blown away by it. It's, it's my favorite scene of a movie this year. Yeah, I agree with you that that scene is just so incredible. But if you go on the hell site, which is Twitter right now, you'll see thousands of people making fun of it. Like, Oh, he wants that Oscar so bad. And it's like, what have any of you people have ever done? First of all, he's never denied that. We know he's, you know, an open campaigner for it. Secondly, like they show Bernstein at the end of the movie and the type of conductor that he was. Right. And like, whereas Dave, I complained to you recently that the guy who plays Ric Flair in the Iron Claw doesn't capture that essence, which mm-hmm. is what he was trying to do. Cooper totally captures the essence and the energy and the enthusiasm and the kind of uh, ecstasy of what it is to be a composer and to be that specific composer. Yeah. Uh, conductor, I should say, sure. although he yeah. was also a composer. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on Batista, definitely, Jason. I I I think I had Knock at the Cabin maybe on my list or honorable mentions in the middle of the year, and he's so good in that. He's really really good. Yeah. And uh, I I don't know if I'm on the Bradley Cooper hate train, but to me that scene was like like just because you can mimic something that really existed doesn't mean that you're a good actor. And not that he isn't a good actor, but to me that scene doesn't isn't emblematic of good acting necessarily. I'm gonna. Just, I don't understand, like, because the scene means something in the movie. Right. And everyone is so on their game in it. What is the problem with it? Is it just that people like it? Is that what you don't like about it? No, I mean, and it's not even like I dislike, like, the scene was fine. But to me, it was just like, it's like if you made a movie about a rock band and you meticulously recreated some music video they made. Like, okay, but so what? You know, I, 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 if I were to pick a scene from that film, which I didn't dislike that movie, um, the scene that I liked really was the, the on the town scene earlier in the movie in the black and white portion, when he's first kind of courting Felicia and they go see a rehearsal of on the town. And at some point it kind of shifts and they become the performers and it's very surreal. And that to me is a way that they integrated a real, you know, piece that he made, but they changed it up and they made it mean something for the characters rather than just, you know, slavishly recreating it like they do in that Mahler scene. So to me, that was a much better scene. Well, I'm where I'll disagree with you is this meant so much to the character. This could have been maybe the height of everything that he did. And I think you're calling it uh, a mimicry or an imitation or whatever, but I'm talking about it. The emotion on his face uh, really shines through with the music playing. So um, I know you're heartless, so you can't really understand. Right. No, no, no. But, but I mean, I feel like it did. Like, I understand that that meant a lot. And I knew that because I read about it later. But in the context of the movie, I felt that like there was no buildup to that. That's, you know, we talked earlier about the the biopic problem of like fast forwarding through people's lives. And this movie covers 50 years and it was just like bounces from one thing to another. I never got the sense that this was, uh, you know, something that he was like anticipating or building up to or how much it meant to him. I do think you're right about that because like the the movie does kind of just flow all throughout his life and it never really is kind of on like a, a regular trajectory or anything like that. But still, I think you can isolate it as a scene where you can just see just how important performing is to this person. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's strange to me, Josh, that you would have Priscilla ranked so high, um, which does similar uh, things with its structure, where it's kind of just uh, uh, such a long period of time. It's a much shorter period of time. <laughs> I mean, it's what? 20 so it's like years, 13, 13 years? years versus 50. Right. Okay. But you're still getting these like glimpses and moves and this and that, and not everything kind of goes from A to B to C. It just it goes all over the place moving sequentially. So, you know, hey, but that's okay, buddy. There's movies for all of <laughs> Thank us. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, for my three uh, favorite movie moments, I also went with movies that weren't on my list. Um, but Josh, I also have a Megan moment on my list. I have <laughs> when Megan is singing Titanium to uh, little Violet McGraw and Dead as a bedtime song. So funny. Uh, one of the best moments of January this past year. Other than that, I also have from Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. So oh, I, I know you didn't <laughs> like the movie. And, no, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to support it. I don't know what your moment is but i liked indiana jones and the dial of destiny thank you josh thank you <laughs> yeah I, I think the movie is you know it's a mixed bag overall but i love that they took uh indiana jones harrison ford back in time in the end obviously we get into spoilers on this show i love that everything uh you know overshoots their their you know their intended place in time and they end up back in in you know the 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 old you know, past and, and that Indiana Jones, the character gets to witness that. I think it's more than enough reason to have bothered making a new Indiana Jones movie when Harrison Ford is 80 years old. So, uh, I think it's a really great moment, uh, in a movie that's a bit of a mixed bag, but overall I liked my third one. You can definitely, ugh, all you want, uh, is from Meg to the trench. Uh, it is when Jason Statham uses a broken helicopter blade, <laughs> like a big giant anime sword, to slice at the Meg uh, as it jumps out of the water. Anyone who thinks this movie, you know, doesn't, it's not in on the joke, it doesn't get what's ridiculous about the premise, watch that scene and tell me otherwise. That scene is so insane and ridiculous and funny to me. Well, yeah, I won't ugh that. I haven't seen yeah, it. Yeah, I haven't seen I, it either. I, but I, I like camp. I just think. We don't need any more Indiana Jones movies. Um, stop with them. They're, you know, you had a great trilogy and the last two are not good. So stop it. Well, I think they are planning to stop. And and I'm with you on the fourth one. Although I kind of like the fourth one too, although not as much. But I, yes. I, I agree, Dave. I feel like they've, if they're going to make one, which maybe they shouldn't, they found some ways to make it seem worthwhile. And I did like that mm. about it. So I am just going to quickly go through. I got some uh, picks from the Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces Facebook group, and uh, I will kind of like briefly touch on any that we haven't actually talked about here. Arthur Glover brought up Poor Things, Blackberry, Killers of the Flower Moon. We talked about those. Uh, my wife, Gina Mazzoni, brought up May, December, Past Lives. Are you there? God, it's me, Margaret. We talked I about those. I thought you just said you were going to bring up the ones that we haven't talked about. Well, we'll literally we'll brought up only the ones that we've talked about. We so will far. stop briefly to talk about any that we haven't talked about. Uh, Jennifer Howell brought up Past Lives. Paul Hibbert brought up Past Lives and The Unknown Country, which I haven't seen. Have either of you seen that? No. Uh, it's on movie right now, I think. That's uh, Lily Gladstone's right. movie. Right, Lily Gladstone. Year, so I'd like to see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm curious. Uh, and I think she got, was it a Gotham Award for that one instead of Killers of the so. Flower Moon? Yeah, so that's interesting. Ooh, how edgy yeah. Gotham. <laughs> uh, William James mentioned John Wick Chapter 4, Asteroid City, and The Flash, which I was not really no, that big no, on. No, he's wrong. Ban him from the group. <laughs> You're okay, Will. Don't worry. John Brogdon... Uh, 
He mentioned a bunch of the usuals, but two that I had not heard of, Klondike and Pacification. Uh, I think it's, is it you... Pacifiction, I think, I want to say. Oh, is it Pacifiction? I think okay. it is. No, I don't even know what that movie is. But I haven't seen either of those. Okay. That would be interesting to check out. Matt Stillman brought up Poor Things. Across the Spider-Verse, uh, Anatomy of a Fall, we haven't really talked about. Um, it's a good yeah, movie. good. Definitely. Good. Excellent yeah. dog acting. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and also the wonderful story of Henry Sugar, which I forgot those Wes Anderson shorts even happened this year. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's not so a feature film, so I don't know if we can look, count it, right? Yeah. Well, so so when I had uh, Asteroid City in my top 10, uh, which was until very recently, uh, I was going to bring up all four of those shorts. Uh, and Henry Sugar's the best one, but they're all good. So I think Wes Anderson had a, a really good year, as did Roald Dahl. Yeah, good for him with yeah. Wonka as yeah, well. Sure. <laughs> sure did speaking sure of did. some of the worst movies this year <laughs> hey some people love it they do uh chad clinton freeman always has some interesting picks for us of That's course rebel moon it. is on the list uh you know i i didn't even watch rebel moon so i don't even know what to say about it but uh the covenant the guy Ritchie film which uh i don't think made any noise whatsoever so didn't didn't deserve to it was bad yeah the Artifice Girl, which Jason brought up. So I guess you're on that wavelength with uh, Chad over there. I might have to revisit it now that I know that. <laughs> I was super disappointed in The Artifice Girl, which, J you know, Jason and Chad are not the only ones to really champion that film. And it seemed like the kind of thing that I would love. And it just, to me, was very clumsy. Also, Skinamarink. Did either of you watch that? I hated Skinamarink, but it's the kind mm -hmm. of movie that, you know, I respected how awful it was in a way because it's doing it's very much its own thing and i just did not care for that at all but i i could acknowledge people who think that it's brilliant um i i think it's just it, it's just incredibly uh boring and repetitive and uh could have been a great like 15 minute short but at, at feature length it just it really did not work at all for me but i've i've seen that on some other lists too okay uh, David McKee brought up the holdovers, Maestro, which we only kind of talked about from the moments, uh, Prisoner's Daughter, which I don't know what that is. Uh, yeah, I, it's a, it's a Vegas movie actually. So, oh, nice. uh, set in Vegas with Kate Beckinsale and Brian Cox. I believe that's the one I didn't yeah, see. It. Yeah, actually. I remember him mentioning Kate Beckinsale. So. Yeah. It didn't get very good reviews, but it was, uh, it was set here and I think they shot a lot of it here too. So I was curious to check it out. Ryan Lewis Rodriguez brought up The Boy and the Heron, which is one uh, definitely worth mentioning in it's this. beautiful movie. Yeah, I like it. It looks beautiful. It's a cool movie. Um, also, Godzilla Minus One, which a lot of people loved. I thought was, you know, as far as Godzilla movies go, definitely one of the better ones. Yeah, I was a little disappointed because people love it so much, but it was pretty good. Dream Scenario, which uh, with Nicolas Cage, I, I liked that movie. I think, Josh, you didn't like it, right? I liked maybe the first half of it. And I think Jason agreed with me on, on this, some of this, I felt like once it went from its more surreal nature to like talking about cancel culture and like actually name checking Tucker Carlson and things like that, it just really did not hold together. And the like allegory there didn't really work. Um, but mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I appreciate the ambition of it. Yeah. So that was what I was referencing in context to American fiction, where the satire really does work and actually gives you more, insight into um the story and the culture i did think it kind of fell apart uh two-thirds of the way through there for me yeah for dream scenario so a friend of the show joe black uh his favorite movie of the year was maestro uh he sent me 10 movies but the ones that we haven't talked about the exorcist believer which just 
no. awful. I'm sure it was Fool's Paradise on Joe's list. Though. Yeah, Fool's Paradise yeah, is on Joe's list, which <laughs> thank you, Joe, for sticking with me there. Uh, also, Mafia Mama. Um, Fast X, which I loved. Uh, oh, was that, that was my that top was 10. One I wrote on the the worst movies of the year. Yeah. So so even, even by the standards of those movies is just so bad. Equalizer 3, which I thought was okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but Butcher's Crossing with Nicolas Cage, which I didn't see. Gran Turismo, which I hated. Yeah, Gran um, Turismo was bad. Yeah. Uh, also, Paint, which is a movie that Joe is uh, championing, also which I know bad. everybody he's the, he's the only one. Yeah, that movie yeah I haven't good. seen it yet. It's, yeah, don't see I it. It's bad. Eh, who knows? Maybe I'll like it. Uh, and then Brandy <laughs> Bell brought up Bottoms, which I know me and Jason both were not big fans of. Josh, most, you liked disa- it, most disappointing movie of the year. Yeah, I liked it. Me I didn't too. like it as much as my sister, obviously, but uh, I, I thought it was entertaining. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I really wanted to like it, but uh, she also brought up Killers of the Flower Moon, Barbie, Rye Lane, and Theater Camp, which was almost on my top 10. I love Theater Camp. I was super disappointed in Theater Camp. I was really looking forward to that, and I did not find it enjoyable, really. I liked it, didn't love it, but I do love Molly Gordon, um, and I think she was so awesome in The Bear this year also, so I'm excited. Uh, You know, again, we're talking about these younger actresses who are really coming into their own as uh, leading women. I'm excited to see what Molly Gordon does. Sure. Right on. Well, that does it. That's our lists. We got into a lot of movies here along with all those popcorn and puzzle pieces, uh, members. So guys, thank you so much for doing this as we do every year. Tell everybody what's going on over on awesome movie year. You do that, Josh. I will. We are talking about 1939, possibly the greatest year in the history of cinema. We're going to really investigate this thoroughly over the course of our season. And finally, someone will tell you about Gone with the Wind. Right, right. Mm-hmm. We've got a lot of major classics like Gone with the Wind that we're talking about. And I, of course, am always excited for us to really look far back into film history. So that's been a lot of fun thus far. And I don't know where we are exactly when this comes out, but somewhere in there, check out our 1939 episodes. Check us out at awesomemovieyear.com. Uh, listen to us wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on social media, uh, Awesome Movie Year on Facebook and Instagram, Awesome Movie Pod on uh, Twitter X, and check out uh, both myself and Jason on Letterboxd to see what we thought of those movies. Jason at Go For Jason, and I'm at Signal Bleed on Letterboxd. Very good, guys. Thank you again, and I look forward to getting both of you back again soon. Yeah, hopefully uh, 2024 has as many quality films as 2023. I'm sure that will. No, you can't be sure of that, Dave. Hey, the beekeeper's coming up in a week. I am totally (laughs) sure of that. Hi, this is Wax Tracks Records here on 2909 South Decada. We buy all your old 45s, your old albums, any type of music memorabilia. Also, we sell music memorabilia, albums, CDs, and a lot. Come on down to Wax Tracks, 2909 South Decada, or give me a call at 702-362-4300. Thank you very much. All right, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation about the top 10 films of 2023. Thanks to Josh and Jason for joining me for that, and thank you to all of you for listening. If you're not already, make sure you are subscribed to Piecing It Together wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. We're on Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, Spotify, wherever you listen. You can make sure you're subscribed and maybe drop us a little five-star rating and review. We've got a lot of episodes on the way, including more looks back at 2023 
So, yeah, make sure you're subscribed. You could also follow us on social media at PiecingPod, join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, and get in touch. Let us know what you thought of our top tens. I know, especially me, I had some you know, out there picks, but those guys did too. So, uh, you know, we'd love to hear what you think of our picks. So, um, yeah, get in touch. Also, uh, if you're enjoying what we do here, make sure to drop a review. It would be really helpful if you do that. And, uh, yeah, other than that, I think that does it for this very long conversation. Uh, I'm recording this right before we head out for, you know, New Year's festivities. So, um, Eh, let's wrap this thing up. We'll close it out with a piece of music like I always do. And, uh, you know, I'm doing this thing this year called 24 for 2024, where I'm releasing 24 singles over the next 12 months. The first and third Friday of every month, there will be a new single out. So I am going to play one of those songs. And let's see, what should I play here? I, You know what? It's a new year. I'm going to play one that will be out in a couple of months called Begin Again. So hope you enjoy this track called Begin Again, which is part of my 24 for 2024 initiative. Enjoy it. We'll be back with more Piecing It Together real soon.
an All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.